When I was a kid in high school, myself and some friends, we got this awesome teenage idea. We wanted to give the big ominous, the system, a grand and humoristic fuck you for Christmas. <laughs> uh, so we created a top star for the high school Christmas tree, but we made it in the shape of a ham and sickle, and we cut it in cardboard, spray painted it golden, and then we painstakingly constructed a long device that could sort of hold it somehow, and then with the, at the danger of our lives, we put chairs and tables on top of each other, so we were able to place the seal of communism atop the rather tall Christmas tree in the main hall of the high school, so far up that it was impossible to move, so it was there the whole of September during all, every lunch, <laughs> everybody was looking at it, and we felt mightily good about ourselves. <laughs> this video is about the problem of capitalism and some reflections about how we can think in animist ways about economy and economic exchange. And I'll just give you a little spoiler uh, that Soviet communism probably isn't the solution. Uh, however, before I start reflecting on and also legitimizing the capitalism of my own little web shop and these kind of things, I'll just give a little shout out to all your cute little trolls out there uh, in the Cybergarder, the Trollheim, who are calling me a Marxist, uh, a label that I am probably not learned enough to really deserve. Um, so uh, I'll just start with a little contemplation of socialism to uh, a couple of moments from a 1970s socialist song uh, that commemorates the peasant revolt that rose up in 1534 against the German mercenary army of Count Johann Ranzau. And this is performed by the Chilean folk band Milan II in collaboration with some Danish hippie school teachers here in, in the 1970s. So here we go. Vissiers leos, nietene blanke, fruktige ranser og sorte her. Silke skabier fra valgmelsklær, bønder tømmer, jyske knejte. Nu skal vi sejre i grevens fejde. Good. I got that off my chest. <laughs> and let me just say that I hope that we'll come through this as friends <laughs> and that you'll be able to see this as an honest and at times a little bit humoristic reflection on economy uh, and that everybody won't start hating me right-wingers because I'm obviously a little bit of a lefty and lefties because I do think outside leftist boxes. Uh, try your best to hang with me for the actual content because the issue of economy and exchange is actually super interesting uh, and perhaps it can po uh, point us beyond capitalism and socialism, which are really these 19th century idiosyncrasies that just has stayed with us like really aggressively through the 20th century. To me, the deep question is, can we use animism to create non-exploitative models for exchange, right? When the early anthropologists came as Europeans and saw how all other people lived, they saw something really weird. They saw systems of exchange that didn't seem to function in the way that Western exchange works. That's, you condense some value into something like durable, like little nuggets of gold or digits inside a computer, and then you exchange those for something, a service, a device, a commodity, something you need or you can eat or tool or whatever, right? No. When the early 20th century anthropologist Bronislav Malinowski stayed in the Tropian Islands, he was flabbergasted. Why would these Trobrian islanders go through so much trouble to travel around in order just to give each other symbolically, symbolic objects that seemed worthless? At the risk of their lives, these Melanesian islanders 
traveled in specific patterns between a group of islands for the sole purpose of exchanging gifts in a system that they called the cooler. Right? Now, these gifts were specific objects, specific bracelets and necklaces, and their exchange established relationship between persons giving and receiving. They also solidified social status and gave people a social network to rely on. Right? Now, the cooler exchange system had a couple of uh, different objects, but these objects didn't stay for very long with an individual person. Uh, yet, they would also embody stuff like kingship, group and noble family identity and stuff like that, but they seem to be always traveling between people and thereby create networks of social relation. A comparable system has existed among the natives of the Pacific Northwest in America. The potlatch celebration was a kind of gift-giving ceremony uh, where that would affirm kinship ties, connection between humans or connection between humans and other than humans. This gift exchange economy in my view, is characterized by relation being somewhere at the core of what the exchange is all about. You give and you receive for the purpose of creating the relation, to establish and consolidate good, mutual, friendly uh, uh, relations. This this doesn't have to be horizontal, by the way. It can can, uh, also play out between vassals and patrons and imply hierarchy. Uh, But it's very basic. It stays with us in our normal social reciprocity. We invite you for dinner, then you invite us for dinner. I give you a Christmas present, then I kind of expect to get one back. This exchange model is very foundational for animus practice. All offerings and sacrifices down to the smallest ones, like just giving a bit of beer or tobacco to a sacred stone, they built on this. I I give to create our relation and I hope that our friendship will be mutually beneficial. I will get something back at some point. But notice how the person is somehow the target of the exchange. It is the opposite of this cynically self-interested character of building social relation that we in the market economy call networking. That is, I socialize with you, not because I fundamentally give a hoot about you uh, or want to give a hoot about you, but because I believe that it can promote my career position somehow uh, uh, to have a relation with you. It is the relation for the purpose of the exchange. The market logic, you know, uh, the only reason that we speak to the person behind the counter in a shop uh, and and we try to have as rudimentary and quick uh, and cordial uh, a social relation as absolutely possible, the only reason is that then, we, then we're able to do the exchange. So the commodities become devoid of relation. They become like dead pieces of flesh, corpses of utility that float between us without being embedded in a relation. It is the opposite of the cooler where the objects uh, exchanged actually don't have much utility, but they're like vortexes of vorticus, of, of uh, mega-condensed relation, relating. They're alive with relating, but besides that, so they aren't particularly useful. Uh, this animist way of exchanging is the opposite of the capitalist uh, one, or it seems opp- oppositional to the capital ones. Um, uh, I exchange with you because I want you somehow. The object that I'm giving you is charged with my giving, with the relating. It's a vehicle of social presence and subjectivity between us. So there is a contradiction between these two models. Uh, and this actually means that the transition between them is somewhat, sometimes a bit of a clash. For instance, when people trans, 
um, uh, shift from animist sharing economy and into a capitalist market economy. And I'll describe a little bit of background to this. Now, many hippie paganists seem to think that witches and witch hunting is not something that exists in, in polytheist uh, animist uh, communities. It is. Uh, it has a different character and it's a bit less prominent than it sometimes do in doesn't. Christian contexts, but it is there. For instance, there, there are communities in parts of Africa where you see the notion of witches as, associate, as associated with self-interest and greed. So witch hunts are periodically aimed at the rich and powerful who clearly used black magic to amass wealth from themselves, for themselves instead of participating properly in the sharing economy and uh, as uh, socially adept humans, right? <laughs> um, and now what happened, and this happened in very similar ways in, in uh, Europe uh, and in Africa, uh, was that there was a rise to power of a specific cocktail of capitalism and Protestantism. And in that package, uh, what used to be seen as witch behavior, black magic, witchcraft, suddenly became the norm. Egotistical, self-interested, greed-driven behavior was now no longer just a human tendency that's there, like anger and hate or something, and which we you know, can deal with in a different way. No, in the capitalist market economy, this witchcraft-like thing suddenly became the normative behavior. The normative behavior. So from the tradition of the animist uh, sharing economy, capitalism is almost like a kind of witchcraft. And guess what? When people move from the, the, the animist economy and into the capitalist market economy, uh, then people start seeing witches all over the place. It is as if the whole world has become driven by black magic when it became capitalist. And this is part of the reason that witch hunts occur when exactly this, um, this uh, social thing happens, Protestantism and capitalism. In parts of Africa, we've seen this, uh, I think it has cooled down somewhat, uh, but back in the Ceros, uh, witch hunts were a huge problem. Um, and that's a symptom of moving from animist gift-sharing economy that focuses on relation to persons and into the capitalist market economy where self-interest is an ideal rather than being a problem. Um, uh, right. There might also be traces that the opposite, uh, the mirroring logic could be at play, that the animist gift economy could be seen as problematic from the position of the Protestant capitalist log uh, logic. The potlatch gift exchange ceremonies in the from Native Americans were banned. This was illegal, hinting that perhaps uh, this was seen as compromising to the capitalist logic. Right. You also see steep demonization of, of all traditional religiosities. Um, uh, that are, of course, based on this, these exchanges. Capitalism and Protestantism are fairly tightly connected, perhaps a topic for, uh, for another video. Uh, the big question, of course, is how may we move away from the present capitalist market exchange that is the motor in consumerism which is destroying life on Earth? Um, I mean, communism might have been rather dysfunctional, but capitalism, I mean, we're seriously talking about the most extreme attack on life itself since the diamond dinosaurs. I think this observation ought to be fairly uncontroversial. Um, but, but how may we move towards an animist logic of exchange? And let me just 
be quick to uh, mention that I don't have a, a finished solution. Um, in fact, I only know one suggestion for a solution, which was made by the American thinker Charles Eisenstein. And he had this interesting idea that he wanted to create negative interest rates because that would make money behave like buffalo meat in, a, in an environment without refrigeration, meaning that, that money would deteriorate fa fairly quickly and become worthless. If we did that, Eisenstein says, then we might force economy in the direction of gift exchange. Because right now the problem is that a handful of individuals are able to save obscene wealth. Uh, but if, if the money you hold on to would fairly quickly lose value, then what would you do with it? Well, you'd invest it in personal relation. You'd give it to somebody who needed it. And uh, you would have then uh, uh, earned a friendly relation instead of just looking at your money rotting like buffalo meat, right? <laughs> um, this is just one suggestion. I'm not sure how uh, read into anthropology and animist exchange systems that Eisenstein really is. Um, but it's also... Um, it's, it's also uh, iconic of another point that I've spoken about elsewhere, and that is that gift exchange economy is not easy. It's not scion, right? Imagine doing this. Imagine, imagine deciding that our money would now lose, uh, lose value fairly quickly. It, that's a difficult decision to take and a difficult uh, social system to step into. You know? Sharing economy is not easy for us to enter into. If you... Uh, if, if you uh, move into a sharing economy community and you are perceived as rich, then your wealth is required to diffuse. So people will be asking you for gifts and money all the time. I've tried this. And this puts you face to face with how deeply ingrained capitalism is in us. You know? uh, so, um, so here's where I'm also going to talk about the uh, uh, uncomfortable issue of uh, the capitalism that I'm running myself in my little web shop. Um, and uh, I will uh, shamelessly rip off uh, one of my favorite YouTubers. So shout out to my girl, uh, ContraPoints, there. <laughs> uh, maybe that was a little bit kind of white dude dorky. Um, anyway, I'll just post this in a debate with my own younger and idealistically socialist self. <clears throat> okay, Rune, you are deluding yourself. You think you can undermine and subvert capitalism by playing the system while you're in fact really submitting to it by selling stuff for money on the Nordic Animism platform. No, I actually don't think that I'm uh, subverting the system at all. Um, I think that would be a really easy, far too easy of a narrative to uh, uh, just uh, start using. It would be an illusion. Uh, I think a real gift exchange economy, as I just said, it would be deeply socially subversive and rather difficult to, uh, to step into. Very difficult. Uh, so uh, even though we are a Nordic animism platform, we're sort of working with gifts as, and the idea of giving as a way of building friendly relations and, 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 and honoring things and so on. This is not shifting to a gift exchange uh, economy. That would be delusional. You know, it would be much, that would be much more like an act of harsh social seditions uh, in relation to the conditions on which our world uh, works. So you have become a willing lackey of Das Kapital. You have submitted to become a servant of the class interests of the bourgeoisie. Well, dude, you and me, Ian. So let's be honest with each other. We're not working class. We are bourgeois. I mean, what is more bourgeois than being Scandinavian middle class? You know, 
And how willing of a lackey I have become? Well, it seems I still have to do a serious bit of self-reflection like schizophrenic debates with my own imaginary lofty, my leftist self about whether it's actually legitimate that I try to feed my children out of uh, doing Nordic animism. Who would ever require that kind of legit uh, le le legitimization out of a plumber or somebody else who does something useful, right? Well, I should have listened to my father. Um, you admit to being a capitalist, a servant of the forces that drive inequality. No, I actually don't. Making stuff and, and selling it might be market economy, but it's not becoming a capitalist. That would be amassing an incredible wealth selling stuff that a lot of poor sots out there has built lifeblood making. Being that poor sot and selling stuff you've made, that isn't being capitalist, though it isn't, strictly speaking, subverting capitalism. But you're selling religious, ritual knowledge as if it was plastic commodities mass-produced by Southeast Asian slave workers. Um, no, I don't. I'm not selling knowledge. I never owned it. But I do own my work. And in amassing uh, and communicating that knowledge, uh, you know, since we are talking Marx here, I am certainly taking ownership over the means of production and uh, over my own work. Definitely so, and I'm not ashamed about it. In fact, uh, the, the Marxist side of me that I'm sometimes accused of is fairly proud of it. <clears throat> you should not enrich yourself on the deep and authentic cultural knowledge which is debased by being peddled on the internet. This kind of knowledge is like the air we breathe. It's like the spirit that flows within us. It can only flow freely between free minds, not be commodified as com consumerist trinkets. Haroon. You don't know this yet because you're young, right? So you're going to move on that model for some year no, years now, and I know because I'm you, right? And I want to share a story about how I, you, we actually tried that other model that you're suggesting, giving away work. And I'll explain to you why that model does not work. In fact, why it is totally not respectful even to the content material of the work. I did some uh, research on traditional knowledge in a completely different field, the Afro-Brazilian fighting style capoeira some years back. And I made that available as a book collection of, of uh, traditional capoeira lyrics uh, that were carefully edited, commented, translated and uh, supplied with a, uh, a very thorough index. Now making this material available was a huge task. It was only possible because most of it, most of it happened you know, while I was doing my, my education. And then I thought in my idealist mind, okay, this is traditional knowledge. There's something ethically problematic about me making money on it. Also, I belong to a slave trading nation and this traditional knowledge is developed by descendants of enslaved people, right? So idealistically, I resolved to give everything I earned on the Capoeira book to NGOs working with contemporary human trafficking from those areas in Africa uh, where... Um, the descendant, uh, the ancestors of Capoeiristas came from. So I made a huge investment of work and I gave it away. And I kind of sympathize with the logic behind this. But the facts are that this model doesn't work. And though it might sort of claim to be non-market eco economy, it does something really problematic. It ejects you from the endeavor. And this is extremely artificial and relationally unhealthy. Uh, and therefore, from an animist perspective, unhealthy as a way of doing anything in the world. 
I had a, a very specific objective with this work. Uh, there were kinds of traditional knowledge in Capoeira that I felt was sort of sinking a little bit into oblivion. And this culture that I loved was sort of losing out a little bit on some core parts of its most essential knowledge. And I wanted to create a, a space or a voice for people to access that. Uh, and where did that project go? You know, it never went beyond the Danish translation uh, the Danish version. It was never translated into English. And why? Well, because life happened. Uh, I'm as busy and have a small margins in my life as any other guys, guy. I have three kids to rear, research to conduct, PhD to finish, life to build, ideas to realize. And there's a limit to how much energy you can throw into something that you are not in a mutual exchange relationship with. You know? In effect, my lack of real life engagement made the project stop. When you do something, you should be engaged in it, also in terms of exchange of value. My capoeira teacher, Master Hui, uh, he told me straight up in that sort of rough Brazilian ways that doesn't include any uh, trigger warnings. He said, like, dude, you write a book about the manjinga, the uh, magic of traditional uh, capoeira knowledge, and then you give it away like that. That is not manjinga. You know? And I'll just stay with the Brazilian example a little bit because Brazilians are wiser than the rest of us in many ways. Um, a friend of mine is a young priest of the Afro-Brazilian Risha religion, um, uh, and he used to uh, perform Risha divinations without charging a fee. Now he told me how the senior priest who initiated him repeatedly emphasized the ritual importance of charging a fee. Ritual importance. He straight up said that Ishu the trickster would be pushed off if you do a divination service without economic involvement. In this polytheist religion, doing stuff without the trickster is not doing it at all. It's almost like that. The trickster is, in a sense, the foundation of the possibility of dynam dynamism in, in ritual action. So it's ritually damaging for what you do if you don't charge. The, uh, the exchange of value around your work uh, creates relation with it, through it. So though the market economy has problems from an animist perspective, denying an actual exchange relation whatsoever, that's actually even worse. And after this uh, venture with the Capoeira book, I intuitively felt that quite strongly. And uh, the fact that I now have a little web shop, that actually took its beginning from exactly that feeling. Because when I made my work on the calendar, I, I wanted to make this traditional knowledge available. I also wanted people to uh, value it, to really feel the value that I felt that this traditional knowledge has, right? I wanted to make it available and, and I didn't know really how to do it, but I just knew that dumping it on the internet in the form of a PDF file or blog posts, nobody would give a hoot, you know? I wanted an object, something you could hold in your hand, something that you get through an exchange filled with pictures, pictures made by somebody who really knew how and a thing whose physical shape were as awesome as the knowledge that I put into it, right? And whether I've reached that goal is up for others to judge, of course. But the point here is that, that I realized that I had to make it physical and I had to uh, put it through actual uh, values of exchange. And that was the beginning motivation of this little web shop that I, that I have now. It was fully and exclusively motivated by honoring this traditional knowledge. Um, making symbol, symbolisms and knowledge physical to people and putting them out through exchanges of value by producing quality products with it, you know, and, and, uh, and honor it also by myself being related to it through exchange. 
listen to you. You are honoring blah blah blah, honoring here, honoring there by making T-shirts and bumper stickers like 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 a capitalist, as if it was not driven by money-grabbing self-interest. Like, if I'm money-grabbing, then where are my money? I mean, why the flip am I trying to survive on something as almost insanely philanthropic as Nordic animism? If I'm money-grabbing, uh, like. Leftists, leftists criticizing each other, trying to survive. It's just about the dumbest thing in the world. Boy, please learn that. You know. But listen to you, little twat. You know, of course there's in self-interest. That's what relation is. I am hoping to sell my work and that that will enable me to work on Nordic animism, to consolidate it, to develop the perspective while perhaps one day being able to feed my kids by doing it. You know. So in a sense, you know, buying stuff here is, is a direct way of financing Nordic animism, a perspective that, that, that you know, as an academic project it, project, it totally falls between chairs. It's a little bit too white for indigenous scholarship, it's too tree-hocking for history of religions, it's too activist for folklore stories, and it smells a little bit too romanticist for ontological turn anthropology, so it tends to be rejected a little bit in traditional institutions, but it has to be done. This is probably the single most important way that anybody can engage cultural struggles or cultural studies today. And for crazy reasons, I'm the first one doing it as scholarship. So anyway, when I'm selling t-shirts with a raven design, then, then that is totally not as kind of a superficial thing. This is the sign where the intellectual development of the thoughts and the analysis behind it are on cutting-edge international scholarship level. And a crew of super professional designers have been on it. Uh, you know, a design as this is super dense with thought, meaning, skill, competence on so many different levels. That's what you get when you're buying stuff from Nordic Animism. You're entering into an exchange with me, supporting my attempt to carve out a little tiny niche where I'm able to speak for traditional knowledge into our age. You know, um, and, and, and a design such as this, this is not bullshit. You know, it, it's. Uh, a massive condensation of traditional knowledge. And I could talk for hours about every single symbol on this complex design. The design itself has been through a very long process of graphic development. You know, the book on seasonal animism is its absolutely own content that opens cultural history in a way that is uh, that nobody thought about before. For crazy reasons, nobody thought about before to take the way that uh, indigenous scholars think about their own uh, culture and apply it to majority culture. Nobody, nobody thought that you could look at folklore, European folklore, in that way. You know, um, so uh, uh, and and it is the same is the case with the Nordic animism logo. You know, which can also be bought as stickers and so on. Hopefully, one day, perhaps also T-shirts and stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts, you know, and personal history behind the symbol. Comparative analysis relating it to other cultures uh, in order to understand what it might have meant in the context, contexts where it was used in, in the pre-Christian Northern Europe. The Ockerbo Uchtersil design, which will hopefully be available on T-shirts uh, soon. My perspectives on this design is a reading from an animist anthropology angle that opens an entire part of the Swedish runestone culture in a new way. So, yeah, you know, I've experienced a little bit of uh, reactions against the fact that I'm trying to feed my children by selling stuff I make. Um, and I think that also this has, is a little bit, of course, it's a little bit pubertarian and, and this also uh, has to do with Christian idiosyncrasies about religion belonging in some lofty sphere where non-relating is part of the point. 
Christianity and particularly Protestantism has this idea that 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 they, you know people want a non-engaged reality where God is very distant and not related into this fallen world of humans and materiality, and and. Uh, uh, this uh, Christianity therefore creates what's sometimes called a discontinuous cosmology where we are supposed to create detachment between religious reality and material reality. But animism is the opposite. You know, it, it, our material reality has to be related through our, uh, our religious knowledge, our traditional knowledge. Yet we must somehow also balance the fact that there is something about capitalism that is adverse to the animist exchange logic. So even though the criticism can seem pubertarian, yeah, it's still important to remember where it comes from. Uh, like, you know, in a sense, uh, I think we're captives to a system that lives out of commodification and exploitation and predatory behavior and self-interest. And if we forget at that, we end up, you know, like those Nigerian evangelist ministers who are preaching that you should just give them all the money you have and then you'll be a rich asshole yourself. As I see it, at least the least we can do is to not delude ourselves into thinking that we're kicking capitalism's ass when we are, in a sense, uh, captives to the system. Um, and then perhaps try to be kind of reluctant captives, not house slaves in, you know, in um, Scandinavia, many have public jobs, and they then use that as an alibi to tell themselves that they are not serving capitalism. Yeah, right, you know? And trying to survive by creating stuff and selling it is supposed to be capitalist. <laughs> you know, exiting the market economy is almost impossible for anybody. Uh, and But we should certainly keep reflecting on and working actively with these economic models. Because as I said earlier, earlier you know, communism did create, fail in create a functional, just human society, and capitalism failed in not pushing our civilization into ecological apocalypse. You know, so we must think critically with it and against it also. You know, and perhaps one day we will manage to make money lose value a little bit, like buffalo meat, or reintroduce a kula or potlatch style uh, gift economy in bed, uh, between us, and then uh, the world will definitely become a better place. Thank you very much. Thank you.